0: Well, last week was the first week of the Advent season. Now, we say stuff like that all the time, and uh, I, I wonder sometimes if we actually know what we're talking about. What is Advent or the Advent season? Well, Advent is the, the Advent season is a period of four weeks that lead up to Advent Day. Advent Day, of course, is Christmas. On that day, on the day of Advent, we celebrate the coming of Messiah. Advent means coming. But Advent is not just a day. It's not just an event, and it is not just the period of preparation leading up to the event. Advent is the culmination of a much longer story. It is the climax of the story and the fulfillment of a promise made long ago. For four weeks leading up to Christmas, we recall that story. Now, our current situation can sometimes get in the way. We have no peace, it seems. We have we have to live in a, in a situation that sometimes makes it hard for us to hear the story. Actually, we kind of get in the way sometimes with all of our cares and all of our concerns. We put ourselves at the center of the universe, kind of like the Grinch. Yeah, he was the center of his universe, and all those who's, all those pesky who's got in his way. They kept things from being the way he expected or wanted them to be. And so he took some action. Well, you know, sometimes life gets messed up, and we can't think of anything but our own troubles. We become the center of our universe. The real center of the universe, however, is the Prince of Peace. And that's really the point of Advent, the Advent story. That story is the story of the faithfulness of God as he sets out to restore peace between himself and creation and even peace within our own selves, a peace that was broken by sin and which could only be restored by the Prince of Peace himself. This morning, the second week of Advent, we will explore the promised prince and his peace. Well, let's start with the idea of peace then. Most people want peace, and almost everyone has an idea of what that might mean. God is no different. But if we are going to understand things from God's perspective, we need to learn what he means when he uses the word. And of course, we find his word and the use of that word in the pages of the Bible. Now, the Bible was primarily written in two languages, the Old Testament primarily in Hebrew and the New Testament primarily in Greek. Well, Hebrew and Greek both have words for peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, and the Greek word Both of these words embody the same concepts. Yes, of course, as we all anticipate, these words speak of the absence of conflict. When there is no war, there is peace. But they both also point to the absence of something else, the absence of confusion, Shalom points to the absence of conflict, but it also carries with it a different idea. See, Shalom and Irenae are not just about the absence of something. They're about the presence of something better. At its most basic level, Shalom means complete or whole. At a deeper level, it speaks of a state of well-being or completeness, or the process which brings about well-being or completeness. Shalom speaks to the complexities of life. When all the variables of life are in harmony, one can be said to be at peace. We have shalom. In fact, in its verb form, Shalom means to restore harmony, whether it is in the, all the complex variables of life or whether it's in relationships or whether it's between us and God or between us and the world we live in. Shalom means to restore harmony. So let me illustrate this with a story from the Old Testament. Way back in the book of Exodus, in chapter 20 and verse 25, God commanded Moses how to build an altar. He told him the rules about altar building. He said, if you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it of cut stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. And then we go ahead a while to the end of Moses' life, just after the end of Moses' life, to Joshua. Most of us know the story of Joshua before Jericho. Jericho was a fortified city. It was also the first battle that Israel faced when entering the promised land. Attacking Jericho was a terrifying thing. It was such a powerful city. But for Joshua and the children of Israel, God provided the victory without Joshua or Israel really having to fire a shot. They blew their horns. The walls came tumbling down. The victory was so complete that it inspired Israel to take matters into their own hands. And while taking the spoils of war from Jericho, some things had previously been banned from taking. Joshua 6:18 and 19 says, "As for you, only keep for yourselves, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban, and make the camp of Israel cursed and bring trouble on it. So you remove the Shalom." But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They will go into the treasury of the Lord. Well, you can probably guess, someone took some of the banned items. And later, Israel took matters into their own hands because of their confidence that they got from the victory at Jericho. And they went to attack a tiny town called Ai. However, they did not consult the Lord before doing so. If they had consulted him, he would have told them that they were in danger of being cursed because someone had taken the banned items in Jericho. But instead, they attacked the little town of Ai, and they were routed. They were defeated, embarrassed, discouraged, So Joshua cried out to to God, and God told Joshua something specific. He said, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, this is what the Lord says. There are things under the ban in your midst. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst, so they did what God said. They, uh, in Joshua chapter eight, we find out that uh, they went and discovered the things that were under the ban, removed them, and uh, then in chapter eight went back up against Ai and defeated it. And Joshua eight thirty actually says. When Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man has wielded an iron tool. So they did it, they built an altar in order to honor the Lord. Because they had consecrated themselves and God had restored the shalom in Israel and given them a victory at Ai. But that word, uncut, as in made an altar of uncut stones, that word, uncut, means, actually that word is shalom. They made the altar of shalom stones. Stones, and I guess that was kind of a long way around to get to the point, but a s good story is a good story. Um, so that was, that was a long way to get around to the point, but the idea is that those stones were complete the way they were before anyone tried to square off the edges. They were the way God intended them to be, They were shalom, complete, in harmony. And there's another point in there too. Um, Before Jericho, Israel was in harmony with God. For just a few chapters before, uh, Israel committed themselves to Joshua saying, all the things that you have told us we will do. And we will follow you and obey you, just like we obeyed Moses. But then after someone took the banned items at Jericho, that harmony was broken, and Israel could no longer depend on God to fight for them. Until Israel went through the process of making shalom, peace with God, that would be confessing their sin consecrating themselves to the Lord by removing the banned items. Until they did that, they could not stand before their enemies. But once harmony with God, that is once peace, once shalom with God was restored, they could move ahead into what God had planned for them, including enjoying His protection and fellowship. Okay, that covers some of the Old Testament ideas about what peace is. What about the New Testament? Does the New Testament have anything to say about peace? Or, in Greek, irene? Well, first, let's remember that we're trying to make sense of Isaiah 7 and 9. You remember that in Isaiah 7, God was talking about the fact that Israel's relationship to him was once again damaged and in need of restoration. They had to bring about shalom. This time, God said, the Lord himself will give the sign. The Lord will be the one who makes shalom. The, The Lord will be the shalom giver, the peace giver. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. She will call his name Emmanuel. Then in chapter 9, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. It's Prince of Shalom. There will be no end to the increase of his government, Or shalom, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish and uphold it with righteousness and justice from then on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So, in the New Testament, we, right at the very opening, see we're looking at the way that God, in his zeal for justice and righteousness, provided that son, that prince who would accomplish for us what we cannot accomplish for ourselves. That is, the one who repaired the harmony of our relationship with God and thereby ended the conflict between us and God and reestablished the harmony, the irene, the shalom, the peace that God intended to exist between himself and us. When we look for that, when we look for that continuation of the story, when we identify that sending of a son as the climax of God's story of restoring harmony between us and him, when we see that happening in the book of Matthew, um, we Fortunately, no more of the story. So we can look to something like Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20, where it says, It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, that is, in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile all things to Himself. That's the process of making peace peacemaking making shalom making irene to reconcile all things to himself having made irene through the blood of his cross through him i say whether things on earth or things in heaven see in jesus god did what he promised he through his zeal for justice and righteousness accomplished all the things that he promised. That is the climax of the story. That is the promised son. That is the restoration of harmony and peace. In Jesus, God did what he promised. At least he did for those of us who by faith can relate to the blood of Jesus's cross. Romans 5:1 tells us, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace, we have irene, shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we tie this all together? Well, allow me to try. Early on, I said that the Advent is the culmination of the long story and the fulfillment of a promise. We've already seen the fulfillment of the promise, the promised son, the one, the prince of peace. The zeal of the Lord provided the peace that God sought and spoke of through Isaiah, and he did it through the Prince of Peace, also promised through Isaiah. That's also, it's not just the fulfillment of the promise, it's also the long story, or at least part of it. See, God first revealed to Adam that one day sin would be undone, He promised to Abraham that peace would be restored through one of his descendants. He promised David that a lasting king and a lasting kingdom would be established through one of his descendants. And he promised that all the world would benefit from the justice and righteousness of that kingdom. All of this was accomplished by the zeal of the Lord the zeal of the Lord of hosts through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for those of us who relate to him by faith. But what about the rest of the world? How will the whole earth be blessed by the shalom, the irene, the peace brought about through Jesus? This is where I get to say, so What? So what? Well, if God has brought about peace for us through Jesus, so what? Well, I'm glad you asked. Do you recall me saying earlier that shalom is not simply the absence of conflict, but the presence of something better? Well, for us, Jesus did not simply remove the conflict between us and God and restore harmony. Jesus provided something better. Jesus himself actually is the something better. You see, Jesus gave us himself, and in doing so, he gave us his life. To us, that may seem strange, but in Galatians 2.20, Paul teaches us, saying, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When Paul said that, he was in the middle of talking about what it means to communicate the gospel to the lost so that they could enjoy the fulfillment of God's promise by faith. Here's the point. During the Advent season, we who know Jesus and enjoy the peace with God and with one another that He provides, we have the privilege of not only celebrating the arrival of the promised Prince of Peace and the justice and righteousness He brought, but we have the privilege of introducing others into that hope. So, in these days of COVID-19 and political uncertainty, in these days of civil unrest and racial tensions, in these days of tension and disunity, in these days of fiscal unrest and international threat, we who have Christ living in us are the stabilizing influence. We hold the key to unity. We have the answer to passion and greed and tensions. We alone are the shalom, the irene, the peacemakers. For we alone have something to substitute, something better to put in the place of all of that conflict disharmony, disunity. We alone can guide our neighbors to the place of faith where with the angels we can declare good news of great joy for all people, the birth of a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and on earth peace uh, to those on whom his favor rests." That is our message. That is the message of Advent. That is the hope that we discussed last week. That is the peace we talk about this morning. That provides the joy we'll talk about next week and the love that results. Until then, be watching the daily video devotions that uh, Pastor Alex, myself, and the elders are recording for you. Um, You'll see different perspectives on the Advent, on what it means, on how we can express it. Uh, So until then, allow me to pray for you, and we will close our service this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord of hosts, you who sent the host of angels to the shepherds to announce tidings of great joy, tidings of peace, tidings of comfort, tidings of restoration, tidings of unity. To you we look and we ask of you, make us to be peacemakers between ourselves, between us and you, within our own selves when we're troubled, between ourselves and our neighbors, and between you and our neighbors as well. For we carry the Advent gift with us, the Son who was given. To restore our peace, our Irene, our Shalom. And to bring glory and honor to your name. That's why we ask these things. Amen. See you later.